Folk on Foot is a chance for us to meet up with a leading folk musician in a landscape that's inspired them and to have a conversation about their life and about their music and to hear them sing. Well, we're going to do some of that today, but this edition is a bit different because there's a second walk and that walk is going to involve the humans being silent and listening to the sounds of the landscape around them. It's going to happen in pitch darkness in the middle of the night and that'll be a totally different experience. We've come to a farm just north of Lewis in East Sussex. It's overcast. We're standing just in front of a, a large pond and you can see the farm buildings across it, an old barn with timber holding up the, the roof uh, and then a house to the left. And we've come here to meet somebody who I think is in his natural habitat here, actually. He's in a tent in the woods and he's a man called Sam Lee, Mercury Music Prize nominated album maker. But I think of him really as the Pied Piper of contemporary folk music because he's also a promoter. He puts on concerts by other people and he's a countryman. He's somebody who knows the law and the countryside in his bones and, and his fingertips. He's camping in the woods just over to our right and we're going to go in there and find him. So in a clearing in the, in the woods here, there are bluebells growing. And then just across the way, I can see some bunting hanging, some flags and the smoke of a campfire. I assume this is where we're going to meet Sam, Sam Lee. I sort of look down at our feet um, because I've got a great big pair of leather hiking boots on, which I thought I'd need because I might be going somewhere muddy. And you're wearing what look like flip-flops. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel more connected to the landscape when you wear flip-flops and bare feet? Yeah, I mean, I should really be barefoot. Um, these are barefoot flip-flops. They're very thin-soled. Um, and it just allows me to feel the ground a lot more and know what I'm walking on and do you think we should yeah. all walk barefoot I wouldn't advise it in central London uh, <laughs> but as much as possible yeah in the woods yeah the foot is such a sensitive part of our body you know and and yet we bind it up and it feels absolutely nothing except this kind of hard sole of our shoe and I think we lose so much stimulation I know that when I do walk barefoot I become completely invigorated by it because you're just kind of being massaged. You know, and sometimes it hurts a little bit, but you start walking in a different way and you take the ground differently. Yeah, come on guys, take your shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite yet. 
So let's go on a walk. It's not particularly planned here. Have you got any idea where we might go? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I'd love to go via the Nightingales, but use that as a springboard off into the unknown. See where we're going. OK. And maybe we'll retrace some of our steps from last night. Um, and, and I'll be able to see it in daylight because last night I, I couldn't see anything at all. I could hear lots of things, but I couldn't see very much. Let's do that. Now the night fast approaching To the wood he resorted With wood, vine and ivy His bed for to make There he dreamt about sighing Lamenting and crying Go home to your family and your ramblings forsake. On the 5th of November, I've a reason to remember when first he arrived at his family. Front door. Why they look so surprised? Oh, when first he arrived to behold such a stranger once more in their sight, and his children came around him with their brittle prattling stories with their brittle prattling stories to drive care away now they are united like birds of one feather like bees in one hive Contented they'll be, contented they'll be, and go rambling no more. Well, we're just waiting to set off on a walk towards the nightingales. It's very dark, but our eyes seem to have got accustomed to the dark while we've been sitting around the campfire with no light. And Sam's going to lead us in single file and in silence through the woods to find the thicket where the nightingales will be singing. Uh, there may be some difficult bits along the way. There's a bit where we have to go through a, a tunnel and over a disused railway line. And we have to do all of this in the pitch black and in silence. A, because he doesn't want to disturb the birds. But B, because it's part of the experience. It's part of the communal experience to reconnect with nature that we do this in the dark and in silence and we don't interfere with bright lights and we don't interfere with lots of human noise. But we listen to what's going on around us. 
So we're going to walk in silence in the dark through the woods. Ready? Yeah. Has everyone got everything they came with? Yep. I'm ready. I think you have great conversations when you walk. You walk alongside each other. There's nothing else to do apart from communicate with each other. And, and I think you have somehow better and more profound conversations when you're walking with someone. Do you, do you agree yeah. with that? I do, I do. Um, but actually, I would be an advocate of the solo walk. Because when you're talking, you know, your mind's in one place, but you're, you might be missing the shrew that runs off there or the fact that the, the goose grass is growing up now here and, and that the blackthorn has lost its flesh. You know, you miss some of those subtleties. And that there's a cuckoo singing. <laughs> Just Absolutely. now, he's following us, I think. <laughs> I know, it's yeah. there. If I, when you talk, you hear your voice. <laughs> Listen to it. And it's interesting because this is what, in a way, you did to us last night. Mm. You made us listen. You made us walk the route that we're walking now, but in complete silence. And we, and we should talk about that experience because, for me, it's a, a hugely memorable event that, that I came here to a wood in Sussex with about 15, 20 other people to sit round a campfire, to hear music, to hear stories, and then to walk in silence in the dark into the thicket to hear a nightingale sing and to hear you and your colleagues singing and playing with that, that nightingale. It's an extraordinary thing. What inspired you to do this? The inspiration started probably about 11 years ago where I, I was introduced to nightingales and I'd never heard anything like them. I was mind blown by their song. And I used to go and make annual journeys to hear them, just on my own going and lying in a forest uh, and listening to this exquisite music. And then in 2014, I, I noticed there was a very important anniversary that was of the first ever radio broadcast outside of the studio, live live broadcast. And it was the BBC, and they did that with, um, with a, a cellist called Beatrice Harrison. This would be early in the 20th century, would it? Yes, she lived turn of the century, and then it was 1924 that she wrote to the BBC saying, um, would you come and record me uh, and the nightingale I, I played cello with the nightingale in my back garden Dear. did they believe her <laughs> <laughs> it's such an odd concept isn't it it is and I guess you know this is before David Attenborough <laughs> so Lord Reith had to take the decision did he that they would go out and record this yeah and actually he said no but uh, two engineers who'd been working on equipment to just somehow make the broadcast step outside the studio convinced him that this would be a good opportunity to try it out so they went down to Surrey and they unwound a mile of cable and pressed record <laughs> and, um, and no nightingale sang. <laughs> <laughs> They're very unpredictable birds, aren't they? <laughs> well, they are. I, I, you know, I think they were starting too early in the evening because I think it was at 9pm it was supposed to go out and actually they don't really sing around 9pm. So I, I just think they hadn't realised what the nightingale liked. Anyway, they did it again the next night and again no nightingale sang. But they had backup. They had a bird impersonator 
staked out in the bushes and and they whistled the tune of the nightingale. <laughs> it's an early example of the BBC's natural history programmes having some fake footage in them, isn't it? <laughs> There'd be trouble with the regulator nowadays. <laughs> I like the fact that it took them over 90 years for that revelation to come out as well. <laughs> the scandals are still there. Um, so when you heard about that, you thought, well... Maybe I could sing with them. Well, yeah, I thought, well, this is a very important anniversary. And I, I wrote to the Beeb to say, um, you know, hey, can I kind of mark this anniversary somehow with maybe a song with a nightingale? And they said yes and commissioned a little documentary. And then it's become something bigger, and hasn't it? Because yeah. you now invite people to come in groups and you do it on a number of different sites in the south of England and you're even beaming it into concert halls why did you want to make it a communal experience well it really came from when making that documentary that i first ever sang with the bird and made music and was astounded by the response that the bird had and how close i could get to it. i'd never actually dared to go as close as 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 we did last night and that's and the extraordinary thing 20 people turn up walking in silence of course but they turn up and they get really we were about sort of two yards away from the bush where this bird was singing and it carries on singing mm. it, it, it doesn't fly off as birds usually do why, why is that um because they are exceptionally territorial and they're singing for sex <laughs> so what are they doing when they when they sing they're trying to call down the mate yeah the males have set up roost in or set up the territory in the thicket there in, in the blackthorn scrub and the females are flying overhead, they migrate by night. And as they're flying over, that is the yaffle bird. Ah. That's the green woodpecker. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or that has the name in Sussex as the galley bird. And they think because it used to used to sit and peck on the gallows because there were a lot of insects there. <laughs> so the <Wow>. story goes. <laughs> sort of side, but um, <laughs> nice to hear, hear them. Yeah, they're luring the females down to their territory and the, the, the females find their mates by the song. So they've found this particularly ecological niche. They are the, the night bird. There are other birds that sing by night, but not for, not for courtship purposes. And not for as long. I mean, the, the thing is a feat of endurance as well for a small bird to sing and sing and sing through the night, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's from, you know, 10 o'clock, 10.30, all the way till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And then they rest, and then they start up again to sing during the day too. Not as nice as some mind, but... Um. I want to relive a little bit of the experience of last night because it's still seared in my memory. One of the interesting things is that I walked these steps in the dark with the other people last night and with you and I had no idea that there was a field of yellow mm. happening just immediately to my left, a huge field of, what is it, oilseed rape here in, yeah. in, in, appearing to my left. Um, and at the end of this field, there was a piece of theatre where we seemed to emerge into the open and you could just see the outline in the darkness of the trees and the thicket across the field. And we began to hear the nightingale singing. And that's a magical moment for me. Was it, is, is it always for you when you hear it? Yeah, absolutely. This bit here that we're just getting to where this field opens up into the next field on the other side of which the birds sing, it's a bit like the moment where the curtain is properly pulled open. You know, the orchestra have been warming up a little bit and you've heard the overture, but then suddenly the stars of the show kind of appear and you can sonically see where each bird is along that horizon line and you suddenly hear the detail of their song and the calls and responses and the amazing kind of uh, conversations that they're having.
we've reached a point now which I, I only recognise with my feet because it was dark last night when I went through here, which is quite a tricky sort of chicane or whatever you might call it here. Where you, we have to go through a very narrow and bumpy bit and then up onto a disused railway line. And last night there was a sort of ultimate expression of trust between us because each of us had to put our hands on the shoulders of the person in front and move really close together. And you, you run a kind of caterpillar through this, through this part. There's something wonderful about doing that in silence and, and it creates a kind of bond between the people involved, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm pleased to hear that. Yeah, it, uh, ultimately it's the safest way of getting through this, this bit, which is pitch black. And do you think that experience of, of sitting around the campfire together, listening to song and story, strikes some sort of primeval chord in all of us? Yeah, I do, I do. Um, you know, I, th I think some will hear it louder than others. The thing about stories, it's about taking you into places you've never been. And the fireside is the kind of, it's the forge of all our stories, I like to say. And um, it's, it's, it's where so much of our culture emerged from that, you know, once you're there in that place, it's, a, it's like a trampoline up into the realms of imagination, and <laughs> into back in time. And also it's an, an opportunity to get your eyes accustomed to the dark because you don't use any artificial light around the campfire, just a couple of lanterns. Yeah. So we sit and stare into the flames. And I think that's part of the transportation and also the, the kind of, you know, this is a, I feel like this is a bit of a, a rewilding experience about taking people into a, an environment, but uh, not just the, the environment, but a kind of a, a, a personal environment, a state within themselves, which is really, uh, different to anything we ever get the opportunity to experience. I'm feeling moved to ask you if you'd like to sing a song, but I don't know whether you <laughs> feel up to it this morning. Yeah. Well, as we're in Sussex, I have to sing a Sussex song, and there are no better keepers of Sussex song than the Copper family. So I think this one, The Birds in the Spring, is the perfect one. And just to, to explain, the Copper family, famous yes, folks yeah, in the yeah, family. Yes, yeah, of course. The, the Rotting Dean family of uh, they can trace their songs back to the 1650s and have kept a great list of amazing old songs. So, yeah, still singing today. As I was a walking one morning in May down by the green meadows all along by the grove it is there i did hear those charming birds sing did you ever hear so sweet did you ever hear so sweet? Did you ever hear so sweet? The birds in the spring As I walk through the grove I sat myself down And the song of the nightingale 
echoed all around. His voice was so charming, his notes were so clear. No music, no songster, no music, no songster, no music, no songster, can with him compare. Now all of you hear them small birds to hear I'll have you pay attention Come listen, draw near That when you grow old You'll have this to say that we never heard so sweet That we never heard so sweet That we never heard so sweet As the birds in the spring it was beautiful. Does it feel different singing it out here in the open air with the birds <laughs> singing all around you? Immensely distracting. They're <laughs> <laughs> putting you off. <laughs> well, it's really hard because it's like, because they're all talking to each other and I'm just singing over your conversation. <laughs> when I'm singing about your conversation, there's something very sort of like, I'm singing about you right now and you're here and you can hear me. Attention. <laughs> <laughs> and also we had a heron being attacked by, by a crow as that was happening, which was also a bit alarming. Uh, with that the dangers of alfresco performance. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you never know what's going to come out and grab you. But the Nightingale didn't start seeing I was hoping maybe I could lure him off his <laughs> silent perch. He did blast. I think he's just over here. think they respond when you're singing with them, the nightingales? Yes, without question. What that response is, I don't know. Uh, the romantic in me is saying, well, they're loving the fact there's there is other song in the way that they, are, they respond so well to each other. 
Um, others might just say that they are just saying, get off my land, <laughs> get off my patch. But uh, they very much are changing their song to, to acknowledge you, some more than others. And also, it depends how close, I mean, I know last night we were close, but I have to say, I'd be twice as close again with other birds. And it's ear-piercingly loud. You can hear a nightingale almost a mile, on a clear night over a mile away. And the power that they put out is extraordinary. A few nights ago, we were with one where we were only about six feet away from the bird. And we all arrived and we sat down and got ready and, and then <laughs> started to stand up and go back again. Because it was so, it was so loud, it was hurting our ears. <laughs> Um, I've just noticed there's some orchids oh, growing really? here. Yeah. Down below? It's the start of an orchid coming out. I think probably a common orchid, but you can see this amazing spotted leaf. Yes. I'm pretty sure this is... This is one, yeah. yeah. We're a bit too early for the flower, but they'll be out in a few weeks or a month or so. So do you think folk song has to be about a rural landscape, or, or can it be about an urban landscape too? Oh yeah, I mean, folk music is it's an expression of wherever we are and there's amazing folk music, industrial folk music and music that's come out of trades and, you know, the sea, um, all, all sorts of environments. So it's the, this idea that it's some sort of, uh, you know, pure rural expression is, is very inaccurate, really. And when you're collecting well, songs, where do you go? Well, where it exists now is, that's, that's the irony, is that you don't go to the farmers on gates I collect the songs today from gypsy traveller communities, the elders there who are the last ones to be singing from the oral tradition, apart from the Copper family, of course. And there I'm going into housing estates and traveller sites under motorways in central cities. I, I live in Hackney and I walk down my local market, Ridley Road, and I will always see Irish travellers there and very often I'll stop and chat to the old ones and they'll, you know, sing a little bit of a song. It's incredible. In the centre of London, in the hippest part, you'll meet people carrying folk songs. Was, was, it, was folk music in your life as a child? Um, it kind of was in a very inadvertent way. I hadn't grown up with parents that listened to folk music or within the folk music arena, but... I used to be part of an, I am part of an organisation called Forest School Camps, which is a children's charity, and it had an enormous impact. So you went on these camps where? In what sort of places? Um, all over, all over um, England. I'm just going to say, do you mind coming on the part? Is there a Sorry, way we can do I this? Sorry, am I damaging it? Yes. I'm just aware that we're like trashing Sorry, the yes, I beg your no, pardon. Yeah, no, no, you're quite right. <laughs> where were these camps? What sort of places? All over England, from Cornwall up to the Hebrides and. Every night we'd sit round the fire and sing songs from a songbook that had a very, very rich diet of folk music. And it's in many ways one of Britain's last unbroken oral traditions because we, we use books a little bit, but mostly the songs are just learned as a kid and passed down. But up until I was 23, 24, I had no idea where these songs came from. I'd studied anthropology and I knew a lot about music from you know, tribal communities and ethnomusicology in that respect. But I didn't know Britain had its own, and I had no idea the songs that I'd known from camp were actually the part of that repertoire. Was there a moment of revelation when you found that out? 
it was when the internet came about. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I first did some sort of search engine and, it's, and found a song that we had sung, sung by this group called the Watersons. And I was like, why are they singing our song? You know, who do they think they are? <laughs> <laughs> and I listened to them and others of the revival and loved it, but very quickly wanted to know where their songs had come from. And then I found the archival recordings, the field recordings made of our, of our singers by song collectors of past. And that blew me away. I stopped listening to all contemporary music and I just, for about two or three years, all I listened to was these archival songs. I was totally entranced. Why? Why did it strike such an amazing chord with you in particular, do you think? I don't know. I th- the answer is too long to say, but ultimately what I was hearing was... an ancestral voice that I had no idea existed that spoke so deeply to my sense of what Englishness means and what my indigeneity is. And there was something very powerful about that that I'd never experienced in music. The style of singing, the integrity of their voice, what their songs meant was actually closer to what the songs meant that we sang on camp that sense of no, there's no audience, there's no, we're not singing for any sort of commercial, uh, you know, intention or success. Or, and I remember having a, a deep knowing that I had to learn all these songs, just had to learn them. And you had to go and meet the people who were still singing them in part of that tradition. What was it like when you first went and saw somebody who'd been part of that tradition and they were going to hand on a song to you? Well, I mean, I, I didn't, they were all, they're all dead, that's the thing, they're all dead. And all the academics and scholars were all saying, no, they've all, they've all disappeared. But were it not for an encounter with someone, which was actually how I first met you, which was on the obituary for Stanley Robertson. Yes. And he was a Scottish traveller who was the last in the line of the Scottish balladic storytelling bards and had a repertoire of you know, nearly a thousand songs and twice as many stories. And I met him at a festival, I realised that I'd, I'd learnt some of his songs. I thought he was dead. <laughs> it turns out he wasn't. And he and me kind of went on this journey together. I became his apprentice. He knew who I was. He'd never met me, but he knew who I was. He knew that I was meant to... To, to come, come along and, and keep the tradition yeah. going. He knew my name. He knew everything about me, even though we'd never met. And he, he kind of said, you, I, with me, laddie. I don't want to push my luck, but would you be able to sing as a little Stanley Robertson? Yeah, the, the, song, the song I'll sing is um, Up a Wild and Lonely Glen, uh, The Queen Among the Heather, and it's a song that um, was, I think, one of the, the real sort of anthems of the travellers about their, their love of the heather and that they could never be taken or tempted off the heather, as it were, for, for love or money. It's up a wild and a lonely glen shaded by many the purple mountain it was far from the busy hunts of man 
the first time that I got out hunting for I have been to parties and balls and I have been as far as Balquitha but the fairest lady that e'er I've seen she was herding her use all amongst the And her face was white And her gown, it was green And her form, it was so tall and slender And her welfare face and her downcast looks She made my heart no more for to render Says I, bonnie lass, will you gang with me and lay with me on a bed of feather, the silks and the scarlet, I'll make them thine. Leave off your lands and your ewes and your heather. Says I, kind sir, well, your offer it is fair. But I think it is Menting laughter For you are the son of some rich squire And I am but a humble shepherd's daughter Well, I bless the time Well, I bless the day When first it came My roving fancy She was herding her ewes All amongst the hills 
The first time that I oh spied my Nancy. Tremendous. Some human voices in the background as well. I, I wondered whether he was more in love with the U's. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I wondered who he was after the U's. <laughs> there was some kind of financial transaction going on. One, one of the things way. that interests me, Sam, because we talked a lot about tradition, but when I listen to your albums, I hear that tradition being reinterpreted mm. in a very contemporary way and also in quite an international way so you're not shy of bringing in instruments from other cultures around the world Mm. do you think that you are making your own contribution as it were adding your layer of inventiveness and creativity to the tradition that's been handed down to you by these singers from a thousand years yeah the exciting thing about making music today is that it goes in so many directions what i do is is taking that music in a completely other direction for a new audience that would never have historically or ancestrally heard it. So in many ways, I've got carte blanche. And for me, what's very important is to keep the heart of the song and, and how I've received the song true and as, I don't say as pure, but as intact with as much integrity as which I've learnt it because I'm going to change it. The way I sing it is different. I haven't grown up absorbing through osmosis these songs and this style but I think that there's something essential and deep within the songs Stanley my teacher called it the Maizy the Fado singers the Portuguese will call it the Duende and that quality is something that is not about technique or about instrumentation or presentation it's about where the song comes from deep in your heart been twice now to hear you singing with nightingales and it's a spiritual experience for me not not about faith or anything like that but somehow it's about reaching a part of your psyche 
that you don't normally activate. And it's the whole experience, not just the music, not just the birds, but the communal experience. So thank you very much indeed for creating it. And thank you for being on, on Folk on Foot. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me with you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Folk on Fort, why not rate and review us so more people can find us? You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts by clicking the subscribe button. And for more information, you can go to our website at folkonfoot.com where you can find out about the episode, the guests and the team behind the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook for more news and behind-the-scenes information. We are at Folk on Foot on all platforms. And there are more episodes of Folk on Foot with Cara Dillon in Dungiven, Kareen Polwart on Fallow Moor, the Youngins in Hartlepool, and Steve Knightley on the X Trail. <laughs>